Welcome to Practicing Catholics, also known as No Good Evangelists. I'm Bob, and this is Dan. Good to meet you, everybody. How are you doing, Dan? I mean, yeah, superb. Just what a day, man. What an awesome day God has made today. What? Was something good happened today or something? Man, uh, just a... No. Why? Nothing happened. So it's just a day, <laughs> an ordinary day. Nothing day bad awesome. happened. Nothing bad happened. There right. you go. Glass is half full, brother. So what's your topic? Well, I, in a previous episode, we talked about the Word of God. In this episode, I figured we'd talk about the Word of God. Well, you sure don't know how to keep an audience, Bob. That's right. <laughs> keep a good variety of topics is what all we they, need. Yeah, sometimes it's good to be repetitive. No, I, we're going to talk about not Jesus, the Word of God, capital W, but the Word of God, uh, specifically the Bible. Or maybe we'll mix in sacred tradition, too, and the magisterium. Maybe that'll come up. That might come up. Yeah, the Bible. What is it? Yeah, it's a book that God made for It's a us. library of books, Dan. Holy moly, you won't even let me get started. Well, as soon as you've been put an S on book. It's at least one, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. it's a bunch of books. It's a bunch of books. Written over... By scribes. <laughs> <laughs> written over by how? what amount of time? Yeah, uh, so 2000 BC to, to about 2000 years. Yeah. To about 100 AD. Yeah. 2,100 years. 2,100 years. Uh-huh. How many authors? Whew, man, that's a tough one. Lots. At least 12, because <laughs> there's 12 <laughs> different prophets. Man. So it's like probably 30-ish yeah, authors. Yeah, man, even a woman. Oh, yeah? Which which part of the Bible is by a woman? I don't know. You don't, I heard that. You don't know what book that is? I don't. It's my understanding that there was that none of the authors of the Bible were female. But the only checking I've done on this was to look up the ones that are named after women to see if they were. Right. And they weren't. Right. So <laughs> with that, Ruth. Right. Ruth was written by the prophet Samuel. And uh, Je- um, Esther was written by Mordecai. Song of Solomon? Um, Solomon. Well, there you go. There you go. I think there might be a chapter <laughs> written by a woman somewhere. Yeah, Proverbs, the last chapter of the book of Proverbs. Was written by a woman? Well, woman? So, no, it was written by a king, but he's, it's, it's the first verse of it is um, the song of King Lemuel, which his mother taught him. Oh. So it's sort of originates from a woman. All right, well, we'll look into that a little more, and I'll have an answer for you next <laughs> week. Did we ever have a question we haven't followed up with? I, most, almost every one of them. All right, perfect. <laughs> so, so we'll be a good company when we forget next week. Uh, so, yeah. Well, just put it in the comments section. Um, 30 authors. How many books? You know this one, Bob? How many books? 73. There you go. The Protestants would say 66. Well, that's why we're not them. That's not why, but that's just another difference. It, yeah. So it's interesting. There, uh, it, it does. So the number of books is typically... Um, something the publishers decide, and uh, the standard in English is 73. But there are other languages where they combine, uh, they either combine Baruch and Jeremiah, or they combine one of the other books, and then it turns into 72 instead. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so that happens sometimes. So why do we have 73 and the Protestants have 66? Yeah, they uh, took some out. They did, That's the short answer, yeah. Was it Luther? Yeah, yeah. So there was, uh, there were some. There are some books of the Bible that were um, that were controversial in the in the early church, and 
the church uh, made various parts of the church made various decisions about what should count as part of the Bible, like with councils and stuff. And the one that ended up becoming the standard, the decision that ended up becoming the standard was uh, by the Council of Rome in 363 AD, mm-hmm. which was uh, the Bible, that, which uh, endorsed the Bible that St. Jerome put together. And, uh, or it resulted in the Bible that St. Jerome put together. And that, that standard was sort of uh, basically universal throughout the church, but never dogmatically defined. And uh, in Luther's time, we, we were just at the, we had just gone through the Renaissance and the uh, in the Enlightenment period, or we were entering upon the Enlightenment period, and there were scholars who were saying who were questioning the early church's decision, and they were saying some of these books don't belong anymore. Luther was a university professor, and he was part of that crowd, and he said seven of the books that had been in the Catholic Bible for centuries on end by that time, he was like, I don't think these these ones count. And it was at that point that the church finally made a dogmatic decision and said, yes, they do. They do count. This is the seven books there in Catholic Bibles. And Luther said, nah, so uh, the Lutheran Bibles don't have them. Well, all Protestant Bibles don't have them. And it's because them. those things, they didn't fall in line with what Luther Luther thought was true. Isn't that right? That, that, yes, that did come up um, when, when he was confronted in debate with, um, he rejected purgatory, for example, and he was confronted with texts from these books that support purgatory. He said, well, we, these don't belong in the Bible. So that was part of his reason for rejecting them, at least according to his own words. Sure. All right. So we have seven more books, and we, and Protestants, believe that the Bible, all, all the books, 66 for them, 73 for us, are the inspired, inerrant word of God. Correct. And they are without error. Do you want to, well, you just repeated yourself, Bob. Inerrant <laughs> and without error. So no errors and no errors. Not only that, there were no mistakes. <laughs> Okay. So I was going to say, let's go through all those words, but you already defined one of them for us. Right. What does inspired by God mean, Bob? means God worked in the minds of the authors to write down what he wanted them to for our salvation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, inspi- So here's a, here's a critical word here. The word inspire almost has the word spirit in it. Oh. And it's his Holy Spirit. Yes. Is the author. So. This is different from Islam and their book, the Quran. They believe God didn't inspire Muhammad. He dictated to Muhammad. So they believe that their book is directly um, word for word dictated. And, and they also believe it, it was in heaven before. It's always existed in heaven. So, but not Bob's, us. Bob's been on a Islam kick since he had to give a talk a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but we believe it, God inspired the authors to use their own style and their own wisdom, etc. With a couple of exceptions, important exceptions here. There, there are a couple books that are directly word for word the words of God. Uh, the Book of Daniel uh, ha- has an angel who t- told Daniel, "Write this." Ah. And then, he, then he wrote it down. So the angel, would, the angel spoke, and Daniel wrote. Same with Revelation, no? That, um, well, there, not quite, because the angel said, write what you see. Ah. So he then he wrote down what he saw, but it was still him, his style and everything. So is Daniel the only book where he said, hey, write this down? Um, the, Verbatim. As far as I'm aware, those specific words, yes, but the prophets frequently say, thus saith the Lord, and then they put, you know, in English, we put it in quotation marks, and they have direct words of God. Very good. That the that God spoke, in, spoke to them into their head or 
somehow, and then they wrote it down. Uh-huh. So there's that as well. But Daniel's the only one that I'm aware of where he's, where the specific phrase "write this" appears, and then and then he you know it's a sequence of words from that are like directly from God. Nice. Um, I mean, the Ten Commandments would be another example. Yeah. That God told told him write write this. So I guess yeah, there's another one. Okay, but, but not, not whole Daniel. books. Not whole books. Um, as far as I'm aware, no, not a whole book. Okay, good. The sections that say "Thus saith the Lord" or similar. And so the... these books are profitable for our salvation to teach us what we need to know. Correct. Uh, yes, although I usually think of profitable in terms of other things. But it's an interesting cho- choice of term there, Bob. Where, where do you get that term? I get it from the Bible. <laughs> One Timothy three fifteen. Sixteen. Two Timothy three sixteen. Uh, yeah, and it says the Bible is profitable. Right, as so, opposed, and we believe that too. Sure, yeah. So we're talking about spiritual profit here. Yeah, Protestants believe the Bible is sufficient. That's all we need. That's all we need. The Catholics, we don't need nothing else. And the Catholics believe it's profitable. So they kind of took it and said, ah, we, they take that verse to say that sola scriptura, Bible's all we have, Bible's all we need, etc., it's funny, though, because they're like, the Bible is all we need, so we're going to take this verse that says profitable. It doesn't quite say what we want it to, though. Yeah. I guess that verse isn't sufficient, so we're going to add on right. and say it's sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the the verse they'll point to to, say, to to show sola scriptura, which is Latin for Bible alone, right? Or is it what other language? No, it's Latin. It's Latin. Okay. That was the language of scholarship in the time when the Protestant revolt happened. So they so. they they take the Bible and they interpret it the way they want and it's valid. Well, no, it's not in their eyes. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, you can make anything valid, and if you do subjectivity, you'd be like, well, I say it's valid, so it is. Yeah, but we need the church. We need tradition. We need tradition. Jesus, what Jesus said. He said in uh, Matthew eighteen, "Listen to the church." He said, "If you got a problem with your bro, work it out. Can't work it out, get a buddy." Still can't work it out? Take it to the church. And he said, listen to the church. And if, if you don't, then you're a heathen or a tax collector. So yeah. we, we do what Jesus said. When there's a dispute, we go to the church. And what and does the Bible say, Dan, is the pillar and bulwark of truth? Man, you are hitting one at one after the other. We're getting into that magisterium stuff right away. Right. 1 Timothy 3.15. That's it. So, That's the one you were trying to cite earlier. Yeah, it's one book off, one verse off. The, the, the one they use is 2 Timothy 3.16, and we point to 1 Timothy 3.15. And, well, we point to theirs, too. Yeah, we point when, to... When they say the Bible is sufficient... <laughs> right. We point to the one right. they point to as well. To Because they say, well, the Bible's sufficient. Yeah. Here it is, and then we, we point straight to that word I've profitable. Also, I've also it's heard him say... Doesn't say sufficient. Well, we should use the Bible only because with the... Hmm... Bethians... Was it the Bereans? Bereans. Bereans. You almost had it, Bob. <laughs> the Bereans who they're saying, look at what the Bereans did. They heard something and then Bob they checked it. Bob may not have it. read his Bible, but he's read his headlines. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 heard what they heard, what they heard, and they checked what they heard. Whoa, whoa! You're getting real confused. The Bereans, the Bible praises the it's, Bereans. Yeah, because Paul went to preach to them, and it says they checked what he said and saw that it was in the scriptures. Right. And it praises them for that. Yeah. And we, we do that, too. If sure. we hear, you know, we hear Pope Francis say something, we go, let's check the scriptures. And so that's what the Bible's good for. Praise God. Yeah, it is. It's a, it is a great book. Uh, but it's not. The Bible's not an exhaustive, systematic theology book. Right, Dan? 
you're you're correct. I'd like to stay on this Berean Berean topic for just a bit longer. All right. Um, yeah. So you, what what we can't do is uh, is say, you know what? By by my own personal um, reading of the Bible, I disagree with you know the church, and therefore I, I throw it out. And that's that's not what the Bereans did. They didn't do that. Paul went to them and he said, there are prophecies in the Bible that say Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And they said, really? And they checked. And then they converted. So it's, pra- it's uh, praising them for converting when they read that the, what, that the Word of God teaches what Paul was proclaiming. Right. It's not saying that they only exclusively went by the Bible alone or that they said, this is sufficient. This is the only thing we need. Paul, go away. We, we only need this Bible. That's not what they did. That's right. So, yeah. That, that reminds me of the Ethiopian in the book of Acts, and Philip apparently saw him there with the book of Isaiah and ran up to him. The spirit told him, hey, go talk to this Ethiopian dude. Ran up to him. He said, hey, do you know what you're reading? And what did he say? How can I unless somebody guides me? Beautiful. He said, do you understand what you're reading? You under- right. Yeah. So the Bible alone wasn't enough for the Ethiopian. He needed a guide. And that's a great, it's a great verse, great passage for us Catholics to point to. Acts 8. Yeah. Verse 36, I think. Yeah, it's not enough to have it in front of you because we all bring our own interpretations. We all bring our own Biases. education, our own cultural stuff, right? Our own life experiences. Our own, our own colored glasses. Exactly. And, and so we're we always need... ba- all of us are bound to get something wrong. Yeah. Basically. And so we need the church. We're not infallible. Jesus never right. told us that we're infallible. Who did he tell? His church. Right. Specifically the apostles. Yeah. Well, first Peter and then there are other apostles. Right. He gave Peter the keys, and then he also gave the the apostles, what did he give them? The authority to bind and loose. Right. Exactly. So, that's pretty cool stuff. There's there's your magisterium, and there's where we need tradition. Mm -hmm. Look back at what the church teaches to help guide us in our understanding. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 2.15, Bob? No, it's 2 Thessalonians 2.15, and 1 Thessalonians 2.13 mentions scripture, mentions tradition, mentions uh, uh, oral teaching. They they do. Uh, one, so 1 Corinthians 2.13 is where Paul says that you received my words not as the word of men, but as they are, the words of God. 1 Thessalonians. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Then 2 Thessalonians 2.15 yeah, is where he says that my letters uh, are... Uh, are the tradition that you've received, well, that you have to keep. Yeah. Hold fast to these traditions. So in in Paul's letters, we hear about oral teaching. We hear about tradition. And he says by word of mouth, too. Yes, by word of mouth. So, yeah, there's tons of evidence. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about the Bible. Yeah. Do you think that it is appropriate to make Bible reading uh, one of your personal private devotions? Yeah, it's a a living thing. God Mm -hmm. speaks to everybody individually. Through the Bible. And you get indulgences for it. It's so amazing. how about that? If you do 30 minutes of Bible whoa, reading, you, whoa. Get a, you get a partial indulgence. Whoa. What is an indulgence, Dan? You can't just throw that term out there. <laughs> Why not? This is That's not the topic. We'll get to that next time. <laughs> <laughs> People have to vote for it. Anyway, what is an indulgence? Yeah, uh, it's a type of blessing would be the short, if you didn't want to go into how is it different from other blessings, but it is a type of blessing. So in particular, it is a type of blessing that remits punishment due to... Takes um, away punishment. Yeah, yeah, takes away punishment that's due to our venial sins. All or right. And our mortal sins, actually. But uh, we have punishment that's due to venial and mortal sins, and indulgences uh, reduce some or all of that of that punishment. 
Okay, so there's partial, right, and plenary indulgences. Right. Partials get rid of some of the punishment due, and plenaries get rid of all of it. All of it. But there's a catch with the, the plenary one, the full one. That means you have to have no attachment to sin. That's correct, which is, which is hard. What does that mean? You can't like it? I, it, I've I've looked it up before, and I couldn't find an answer. I don't I don't think the church has defined what it means when it says you can't have any attachment to sin. Initially, I thought it just meant you have to be free of sin, but someone said on like on a forum where I was talking, they were like, no, because we already have a term for that, be free of sin. Yeah. And they said uh, the the definition for getting a plenary indulgence is you have to have no attachment to sin. I think that would mean to not even look fondly or favorably at something and think, oh, man, I wish I could do that, but I don't want to sin. Even if you look at that and say, oh, man, I have that kind of like, I'm kind of drawn to it. Right. Like overeating, let's say. Yeah, so you can actually never know if you've received a plenary indulgence. So load up on the partials, I say. <laughs> <laughs> plenaries, too. You, plenaries aren't that hard to get. There's some pretty easy plenaries. Yeah, um, but you can't have an attachment, so you can't know anyway. if you... So are there indulgences in the Bible, Bob? Yeah, I'm sure there are, but the the term indulgence isn't in there. Go ahead. Tell us where they're at. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, there's a few places. Am I right, the, though? The term indulgence ain't there? I I don't know. I, I, I don't think I've read it in any of the translations I've read, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are translations that use the word indulgence somewhere. No kidding. Anyway, uh, so one place that indulgences are, are mentioned are in the first and second book of Corinthians, where... Uh, why are we even talking about this? This is this is not our topic. It's in the Bible. It is. Okay, so anything in the Bible is the topic. Well, you know, we're going to go where the conversation goes. What do you want me to do? Cut you off and edit okay. this out? So in 1 Corinthians, Paul gets mad at a guy who slept with his dad's wife. And well, he should. Well, he should have been mad at him. No, and well, he should have been mad at him, yeah. Not <laughs> the well he should have slept with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. No. Bob's like, she was mad. <laughs> or, anyway, uh, so Bob, uh, Paul got mad at him, and he excommunicated him. He said, kick him out of the church. Uh, he said, deliver him over to Satan uh, for the destruction of the flesh, so that he may be saved in the day of salvation. So then, in the next letter, um, apparently there were complaints. <laughs> Because <laughs> Paul, because uh, in Paul's second letter, he's like, "You've been asking me if we can let this guy back in." He's he says he's repented, and Paul says, um, "He says yes. The the punishment he's endured already for being outside the church is sufficient. So you know, I, I let him back in." And that's so he, the whole idea of excommunication. We we do it to bring them around. Yeah. So that that was him re remitting the punishment due to his sin. He committed a sin. He got punished for it. And then Paul says, well, not anymore. We're, we're not going to do it anymore. And Paul that had that authority because Christ gave it to him, right? Right. One of that part of that binding and loosing thing. Right. So there was, I guess there was 13 apostles. <laughs> yeah. Well, there ended up being more because, you know, they they died. So they yeah. got replaced. Right, right, right. But the, I guess there was originally 13 then. Can we say that? Well, they're, they're originally, originally there were 12. And then there were 11 when Judas left or departed or died. Then there were 13 again when they replaced Judas. And Paul came on board. But Paul came on board, so then there were 13, but also there were others. So Apollo's called an apostle, so that would make it 14. Okay, and then they grew from there. Yeah. So. All right. So how often do you read the Bible? Oh, I try to read it every day. I don't know. Yeah, you're succeed. a lot better at me at that. I can, like, I know where some apologetics are in the Bible, but you guys are much better at actually doing it, reading it, and knowing it in context <laughs> and studying it and... You know, I should do it. I should take it up more. 
Are there typos in the Bible, Bob? Yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah, there's certainly there's certainly typos in the copies we have today because I've read them. You know, I've I've been reading in my Bible and I come across a typo and I'm like, hey, that that says gore and it should say God or something like that. Yeah, that say it's gore. Right. Something. <laughs> that's not good. That's yeah, so not supposed to say that. Uh, so I've seen co- typos in English copies of the Bible. So it's not inerrant, I guess, if there's typos. Well, yeah, the English copies aren't certainly inerrant in that sense. Right. But there's even there's even typos in all the copies we have. Uh, that are not English, like going back into the original languages, uh, we have lots of manuscripts of ancient people from way back when's Bibles. Their copies of the Bibles also have typos in in whatever languages they're reading from. Mm. Typos in the Latin Bibles, typos in the Greek Bibles. And there's no, as far as I'm aware, no part of the Bible says that the apostles uh, were going to be prevented by the Holy Spirit from... Writing typos, Copy errors, or yeah, typographical errors. Yeah, so they, they, they didn't have be. grammarly, right? Yeah, we, and we don't know if they if they wrote down any typos originally because um, we don't have the copies of of the originals. We only have copies of copies. So. Right. I heard that yeah. um, there was like two hundred books to choose from back when they were deciding which books went in the Bible. Is that true? I, I I've never done a count. I know, I know we agreed on. Um, how many in the New Testament? 27. 27. But I heard that there was like 200 Gospels floating around out there, and the church had to decide, this one is authentic, this one's rubbish. I can't, I can't get, I don't, I've never heard the numbers, and I've never done any research to verify any Yeah, I heard a couple heard, hundred from I've, one apologist. Yeah, I've read some of the books that were candidates for inclusion in the Bible. Um, but they were so gospel. much, they were dated so much later, is that why they were rejected? That and they had... Or is it because they had wacky stuff in it? Yeah, I think both of those, both of those are true. Because you read some of these, they, we still have copies of many of them, and you read them, and they are they're really wacky. Like Gospel of Thomas. Um, yeah, that one's actually one of the less wacky ones. <laughs> That's really one of the less wacky ones. <laughs> but yeah, it's got it's got stuff in there like uh, uh, I think it's a, it, it has a speech that Jesus makes about like hatred for women or something like that, where where he's like. A woman can't enter into heaven. She must become a man first, or something like that. Yeah, it's that's. Really, yeah, I wouldn't put that one in there. Yeah, not not at all close to what the apostles taught that Jesus told them. So, anyway, uh, it it there is also evidence that these things were written much much later, um, and some of the church fathers examined these books and and would write about here's here's why this is rubbish yeah. and don't don't believe it. Um, so all these books were written, all these New Testament books were written basically from the year 50 to the year 100. Is that right? Uh, not, no. Sorry, are you talking about the ones that made it in or are you talking about the ones that didn't make it in? The ones that made it in. Yeah, yeah. All, all the ones that made it in are from were written by the apostles, except possibly the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know who wrote that one. Right. We don't and know who wrote they it. date from like 50 like First Thessalonians, I think. Is that the first one? I think so. And it's somewhere around the year 40, 40, yeah, like 44 okay. or something, early 40s. And then John's John's books were like around the year 100, 102, something like that. Not 102 because he died in 99. Oh, okay. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. Or there, I mean, I think. Give or take? To, to, yeah. I think there's most of these dates for stuff that's this far back has some give or take. But so I guess it could be 102 up to there. But. Yeah, there's give or take. He died around the year 99, and so every book of the Bible was written before then. Mm. Um, except possibly the book of Hebrews. We're not sure who who wrote that. 
Some people attribute it to Paul. That's correct. Um, and that, so the, the Church Fathers, that was, what, that was one of the disputed books, actually. It was the book of Hebrews. Whether they were going to put it in or, or not. Mm -hmm. in, yeah. In so the there were some that were never really in dispute. Um, Matthew's gospel was never in dispute. John's gospel was, I think. Um, but the, like, there were some that were every, every, every church used the, the gospel of Matthew. That's why it's first, actually. That's one of the reasons why it's first in the New Testament. And uh, not every church used the book of Hebrews. There were some who said this, this wasn't written by an apostle, so we're not going to use it. Mm. And uh, the church ended up saying, it, this is in those um, early councils, this is not dogmatic. An, er, an early council in Rome said um, that we are going to include the book of Hebrews. And then they, the Pope commissioned Jerome and he included the book of Hebrews and that became the standard. Uh, in the Latin Vulgate. But um, there was never a dogma that the book of Hebrews was part of the Bible until Martin Luther came along. And then uh, he started throwing books out of the Bible. So the church Did he not like Hebrews? Well, actually, he liked Hebrews, didn't he? Um, there are some he liked, but agreed no, that no, would stay in there. He, he, Luther's Bible did, had, had the book of Hebrews in it, but it had a preface that said it's not part of the Bible. No kidding. Yeah. I know he, he didn't like James either. Yeah, he threw. He did. He didn't like James and he, or Hebrews or Revelation, or uh, I think Jude. And he has a preface. They're separate. If you uh, if you look at his the original Luther Bible, they're separated. They're in an appendix with a preface that says these are not part of the part of the Bible. Apocryphal. Right. That's what he'd say. Um, but that didn't carry. Um, that didn't carry through because Luther. Luther's Bible was superseded by another one that his success, uh, one of his successors made, a guy named Philip Melanchthon, I think, uh, issued a new Luther, a new Bible for the Lutheran Church that did include uh, all the all the New Testament books. So then they ended up being in there. Um, so how often do you read the Bible every day? You said. Yeah, I, I read it every day, but there are there are times when I've skipped, so I can't, I can't. I, it's hard to say. Do you read it in the morning? Completely truth. Yeah, I read it in the morning. When, as soon as I get up, or after, right after my shower, I read the Bible for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Um, you just go front to back, or you got certain books you like, or you're like, I need a refresher in this one. What do you do? Right now, it, it, it depends, but right now I'm following a Bible reading plan. Um, and yeah, I do whatever whatever ones it says, which it's front it's going front to back with with psalms interspersed between each chapter mm -hmm. okay there's a lot of good catholic commentary bibles out there too do you got a favorite one my favorite catholic commentary bible is uh the haydock bible and commentary no kidding yeah it's written in like 1859 so uh it's uh, really old and i love old books it's really old by uh some standards you like the words like the older words yeah and i like just seeing how people thought like i don't i don't so here's here's a thing that I like to say about this book. You, you sometimes hear in Catholic circles about a book or a or a author being pre-Vatican II, right? Um, which usually means they they lived before the Second Vatican Council, and that's when they wrote their stuff. And that's sort of the the worldview they were living in was one where that council hadn't happened. So this book, not, the Haydock Bible, is not only pre-Vatican II; it's also pre-Vatican I, because mm. the First Vatican Council in 1880 or 1869 hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was writing before that one, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Same church, you know. Yeah. Good. Well, have we said everything that needs to be said? It's basically God's love letter to us, right? Don't look at it as a systematic theology book. You know, you don't, it's not up what's, to us. What's systematic theology, Bob? 
What systematic? It's like you 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 are very systematic. <laughs> Way to use the word in the definition. Well, go ahead. You tell me. So a systematic theology book uh, is a book that tells you about a, the the author's understanding of um, well. Now I'm going to use the word in the thing theology <laughs> of of uh, what we're supposed to believe. And they usually and a, a system. The, what makes it systematic is that it's laid out according to a plan. First, I'm going to talk about who God is. Typically, that's where they start. How we know He exists and this stuff. Then, then secondly, I'm going to talk about sin. Then I'm going to talk about Redemption. Then I'm going to talk about. So we the should church. look at the Bible like that, right? Right. How should we view the Bible? Uh, God's love letter to us. I've heard that one. Yeah, I've heard it, but I don't like it because when I read it, very few parts read like that. Okay. Well, how would you? What, well, I, I I view it as mostly a story, a, a history. It's it's like reading history. Ancestry.com. Not. No, I don't think of that as. <laughs> Well, okay. It's yeah. our it's there, our family there history. Are parts that are a Isn't lot like our family history. Yeah, but not with a lot of names you're not going to know. True. <laughs> just, so there are parts of it that are like ancestry.com in that there's like a family tree, genealogy, genealogy. sure. Um but the yeah, it's it's a lot of history of the of Abraham and well Adam and Eve and then Noah and the neighbor a bunch of other people Moses. Abraham Moses all the way through Solomon. the prophets. So it, there's that part and then there's also po- there's poetic parts where like the psalms are are in there that are poems and psalms or songs that were written to for the lit- for the liturgy and the temple uh and then there are the prophets who are uh talking about some particular issue that the israelites are going through or are warning them about things to come or or telling them telling them not warnings but positive things about future things to come hmm. Um, there's all those in there, and then it starts up with the history stuff again. With uh, with you go through the Gospels and the Book of Acts, and then you get Paul's letters. So I I, I view each different genre in the Bible as its own thing, and, and I don't know what to say about what what the whole thing is, other than it's a it is a collection of all these things that God wants us to know. All right, <laughs> but He loves us. It's like a it's a collection of seven different genres of books that have in these particular ones God wants us to know. Mm. That's that's what the Bible is. Okay. All right. Well, let's wrap up this podcast. Can't be here all day. All right. So some final thoughts. Yeah, get get a Bible and I I recommend uh, a good old Dewey Reams. It with an with an exception. This is like if you're okay, if you're comfortable reading old language and and you think that's beautiful, and get a Dewey Reams. I know some people who can't read the Dewey Reams. It just, it goes, it, they try to read it, and because of all that old language and words that, that we don't use in English anymore, they're just like, I don't even know what this is saying. Right. There's a lot of TF, TH at the end of a bunch of words. Yeah, and for some people, they uh, really they really struggle and trip over those words. So if, if that's you, don't don't get the Dewey Reams. But if it, if you're okay with that, it's a, it's really beautiful, and I love it. So yeah. it's my favorite Bible. Good. Yeah. I never liked it until I read it, and then I was like, man, this is really good. Huh, good, very good. But, uh, what, are, what are your final thoughts, Bob? My final thoughts are, it's good to be in the Word. It's good to be in the Bible. Start with the Gospels, and then just keep reading it. <laughs> Pretty weak final thoughts, ain't it? No, man. No, man. <laughs> read the Bible is the primary... <laughs> what are we here for? What are we doing this podcast for? Yeah, you're, read you're... the Bible. Read the Bible. It's good to read the Bible. You get many graces. 
and it's active. You know, you read something and one indulgences. day, and then you see some things. The next time you read it, it didn't even occur to you the first time. So it is a living thing. It's yeah. mystical, and it is God's love letter to you. That's my final thoughts. All right. We well, will thanks. see you next time, folks. Dan, um, wrap it up. Thank you for listening to Practicing Catholics. Uh, okay. <laughs>